Hello, my name is Geraldine Goes-Golar. I'm adjunct associate professor of law at the National University of Singapore. Today, I'd like to talk about the responsibility of states in relation to activities in outer space and a state's liability for damage caused by such activities. The natural starting point of our topic is the definition of responsibility in international law and in the specific context of the international law regulating activities in outer space. I will then also discuss the nature and implications of state obligations for damage caused by its activities in outer space. Grosser succinctly described the basis of state responsibility when he wrote that, from an injury caused, there arises an obligation by the law of nature to make reparation for the damage, if any be done. Until very recently, this classic theory meant that a wrongful act or a violation of an international obligation creates a new legal relationship between two separate entities. On the one hand, the wrongdoing state, or the state to which the wrongful act is attributable, which is obliged to make reparation, and on the other, the injured state, that is, the state against which the wrongful act was committed, or to which the obligation was owed, which has the right to demand reparation. In this traditional view, as pronounced by the Permanent Court of International Justice, any breach of an engagement involves an obligation to make reparation. However, that traditional notion of state responsibility has greatly evolved as a direct result of changes in the field of international law. One such development is the diversification of actors and stakeholders on the international plane. Once the exclusive domain of states, international law now admits a measure of international legal personality of other subjects, such as individuals, private entities, and international intergovernmental organizations. Another such development is the approach taken by the International Law Commission in its Articles on Responsibility of States for Internationally Wrongful Acts, which excludes damage as a condition for responsibility. With this new approach, a state's responsibility for a wrongful act is engaged at international law so long as a breach attributable to it exists. International space law is part of general international law. Therefore, the general regime of state responsibility under international law is also applicable to state activities in outer space. However, due to the nature of the activities it is called to regulate, responsibility under international space law has certain unique attributes. First, it is the only regime that differentiates between the responsibility of states for national activities conducted in outer space and the traditional responsibility of states to make reparation for damage caused by a space object, which is international space law termed liability. Responsibility is borne by the appropriate state for activities carried out by entities that bear the nationality of that state, whereas liability is attributed to the state or states involved in the launch of the space object that caused the damage. Secondly, it is the only regime akin to strict liability in that it explicitly imposes an obligation, absolutely, of reparation on states and international organizations, whether or not any wrongful conduct took place. Now, I'd discuss each of these two unique features in turn. Let us turn first to the responsibility of states under international law for the activities of their nationals in outer space. This responsibility is enunciated in Article 6 of the 1967 Treaty on Principles Governing the Activities of States in the Exploration and Use of Outer Space, commonly referred to as the Outer Space Treaty. Article 6 provides, first, that states bear international responsibility for national activities in outer space and for assuring that those activities are carried out in conformity with the Outer Space Treaty. 
the state bears this international responsibility regardless of whether such activities are carried out by governmental agencies or by international intergovernmental organizations. Secondly, that the activities of international intergovernmental organizations in outer space shall require authorization and continuing supervision by the appropriate state. And thirdly, that when an international organization carries out activities in outer space, responsibility for compliance with the provisions of the Outer Space Treaty shall be borne both by the international organization and by the states participating in that organization. Now, the wording of Article 6 is the result of a compromise achieved between the states negotiating the Outer Space Treaty at the United Nations. Many states, aware of the vast scale of resources required to achieve access to outer space, considered space activities an undertaking most likely to be realized only through international cooperation. Moreover, during the negotiations of the Outer Space Treaty, states acknowledged and agreed to the participation of both governmental and private entities in space activities, even though this specific agreement is not reflected in the text of the treaty. Now, this understanding paved the way for the development of space activities by the private sector. However, due to the magnitude of potential damage that could be caused by activities in outer space, the negotiating states assumed direct responsibility not only for their own space activities, but also for those activities of private entities of their nationality and of international organizations in which they participate. At the root of Article 6 is the provision that states bear responsibility for national activities. National space activities can be carried on by public governmental agencies or international intergovernmental organizations. Governmental agencies include those established by the state to conduct space activities, such as the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, or NASA, of the United States, the Russian Federal Space Agency, Roscosmos, and the Chinese National Space Administration, CNSA, or the German Aerospace Center, DLR. The term also includes ministries and other governmental organs that undertake activities in outer space. Article 6 also provides for international responsibility for national activities carried out by states in the context of international intergovernmental organizations. Responsibilities for the activities of international intergovernmental organizations is borne jointly by the organization in question and the appropriate state without further specification. Now, this appropriate state is obliged to authorize and continuously supervise the activities of the international intergovernmental organization. The identification of the state or states internationally responsible for the activities of the relevant organization is therefore crucial. The general logic is that the state that has jurisdiction over the activity is the only one that can bear international responsibility for it. This logic has its roots in general public international law. According to general principles of international law, a state has jurisdiction over any activity that is carried out from its territory or by its nationals, whether they are natural or juridical persons. State practice conforms with this understanding. Some states, such as France, Russia, South Africa, Sweden, and the United States, have adopted domestic legislation applicable to activities conducted from the territory of the state or undertaken by natural or juridical persons of their nationality. Other states, such as Ukraine, have adopted national legislation that makes specific reference to activities under their jurisdiction. And still others, such as Belgium and the Netherlands and Norway, have adopted national legislation that refer to their territorial jurisdiction over objects registered in their national registries. The problem today, however, is not so much whether one state has jurisdiction over an activity, resource or person, 
This was a problem in the past, but today it is difficult to find any activity that falls beyond the jurisdiction of at least one state. On the contrary, the problem now is how to choose the responsible state in a situation where more than one state has jurisdiction. And this is known as the problem of concurrent jurisdiction, which is of particular importance in space law because it may subject a single activity to the regulatory authority of more than one state. A case in point is the example of the Sea Launch Venture. Sea Launch is a partnership incorporated under the laws of the Cayman Islands, with four shareholders that are respectively incorporated under the laws of the United States, Russia, Ukraine and Norway. The largest shareholding of some 40% is held by the United States Corporation. Sea Launch operates um, launches from a moving platform operating under a Liberian flag. All launches take place on the high seas. Despite the fact that the U.S. shareholding is not a controlling interest, the Federal Aviation Administration of the United States required Sea Launch to obtain a license under U.S. law. Additionally, the United Kingdom authorizes each launch carried out because the partnership is incorporated in the Cayman Islands, a territory of the United Kingdom. An interesting question arises in the case where the competence for exercising such responsibility is transferred from participating states to a supranational organization. For example, this issue arises where state acti uh, space activities rather, are carried out by the European Union. Two such projects that come to mind are the European Union's Global Monitoring for Environment and Security Program, also known as GMES, and its Galileo Global Satellite Navigation System. In these cases, where the space activity is carried on by a supranational as opposed to international organization, there is a gap in the existing international space law treaties relating to responsibility. Article 6 of the Outer Space Treaty obliges a state to authorize and continuously supervise the activities of international intergovernmental organizations in outer space. State practice has enlarged an obligation to include the activities of non-governmental uh, entities of a state, state's nationality, including private corporations and individuals. Most states implement the authorization conditions through national legislation, aiming to assure that the activity carried on is in conformity with the provisions of the Outer Space Treaty and international law, as well as to assure the safety of the activity itself. An analysis of state practice shows certain uniformity in implementing the obligations of authorization and continuing supervision. First, many states such as Australia, Belgium, France, Russia and the United Kingdom generally require national space activities to conform with the respective states' obligations under the Outer Space Treaty or international law. Some, such as the legislation enacted by the Netherlands, Russia, Ukraine and the United Kingdom, expressly elaborate upon particular obligations set forth in the Outer Space Treaty, such as the prevention of environmental contamination. And secondly, many states such as Australia, France, South Africa, Russia and the United Kingdom require the operator to ensure the protection of public health and safety, as well as to purchase compulsory third-party liability insurance. Thirdly, some states require the operator to undertake measures for the assurance of national security interests or the avoidance of space debris. Lastly, in order to ensure continuing supervision, legislation adopted by some states have required inspection of facilities or required the operator to provide regular information to the governing or supervisory authority. Let us now turn to the second feature of the responsibility regime under international space law, namely the obligation to make reparation where damage occurs as a result of activities in outer space. 
As mentioned before, international space law is the only regime of responsibility that explicitly imposes an absolute obligation of reparation in the absence of any wrongful conduct. The negotiating states agreed to this victim-oriented regime in light of the hazardous nature of space activities. The freedom to peacefully explore and use outer space had to be balanced with the necessity for reparation of potential damage that such exploration and use could cause. Article 7 of the 1967 Outer Space Treaty, as later elaborated by the 1972 Convention on International Liability for Damage Caused by Space Objects, or the Liability Convention, provides that the obligation to make reparation is binding on the launching state of the space object that caused the damage. Now, there are four categories of launching states. States that launch the space object, states that procure the launch of the space object, states from whose territory the object is launched, and states whose facilities are used to launch the object. Now, this definition of the launching state as the entity responsible for reparation in a case of damage has caused many practical difficulties in its implementation. Novel technology and international cooperation in launch services have severely tested the notion of a launching state. Today, launches can take place from land territories, but also from the high seas or from aircraft in a two-stage-to-orbit launch. Difficulties also arise in the case of a transfer of property in orbit, such as when satellite sale agreements provide for in-orbit delivery. In such cases, the state with de facto jurisdiction and control over the space object may not be the launching state. An example that comes to mind is the in-orbit delivery by the China Great Wall Industry Corporation of NIJCOMSAT-1 on the 6th of July 2007. The communication satellite was built by the Chinese corporation and launched from the Xichang Satellite Launch Center. Now, once successfully inserted into orbit, the satellite was delivered to Nigerian Communications Satellite Limited. Another complication that arises in the inter uh, interpretation of the procurement of a launch, where the English understanding of the word procurement relates to financial arrangements for purchasing, whereas the Russian understanding relates to the organization of the launch rather than to its purchase. This has led some states to criticize the imposition of liability on the launching state. Brazil and China, for example, have noted the unfairness of imposing liability on a state which has only allowed its territory to be used for the purpose of launching a space object, which for all intents and purposes is under the jurisdiction and control of another state. Other states have interpreted the Outer Space Treaty and the Liability Convention to exclude the liability of launching states when a private space activity is involved. However, this is contrary to the wider interpretation taken by the United Nations General Assembly in its 2005 resolution on the application of the concept of the launching state. In practice, more than one type of launching state may be involved in a single launch. In this case, all states are jointly and severally responsible for the damage caused by the space object in question. While this means that a victim of damage can easily find a state responsible for reparation, this also means that states with unequal interests and participation in the launch are placed in the same position as regards the obligation to make reparation. This wide definition of the responsible state is made even more onerous by the broad rules on attribution of conduct to a state. The launching state may also be an international organization, in which case the organization as well as member states of that organization, parties to the 1972 Liability Convention, are deemed to be jointly and severally responsible. While the definition of the entity liable for damage has caused great uncertainty, state practice has shown the general acceptance of this rule of liability at international law. 
This state practice is manifested mainly in launch agreements, where it takes the form of cross waivers of liability between states, in which each state accepts full liability for its own nationals, while holding other states' parties harmless from liability for damage resulting from launch operations. A significant example of this uh, of such a cross waiver, rather, is the Article 16 of the 1998 Intergovernmental Agreement on the International Space Station. The liability regime applicable depends on the place in which the damage occurred. The Liability Convention provides for absolute liability for damage caused on the surface of the Earth or to an aircraft in flight. However, where the damage occurred in outer space, the Liability Convention provides for fault-based liability. That is, the victim must show that the damage occurred was due to the fault of the responsible state, so as to establish liability. The Liability Convention expressly does not apply ratione personae to damage caused by the lodging state against its own nationals, or to damage caused against foreign nationals who, as a result of an invitation by the lodging state, were participating in the operation of the space object, or who were in the immediate vicinity of a planned launch or recovery area. Article 6 of the Liability Convention allows for exoneration from the obligation to make reparation for damage, where the damage resulted either wholly or in part from gross negligence or from an act or omission done to an intent to cause damage on the part of the claimant. The introduction of the concept of gross negligence here sets the responsibility regime in outer space apart from the general rules of state responsibility. Where the damage resulted from activities in breach of international law, however, no exoneration from reparation is possible. Now, what kind of damage is compensable? Liability is restricted to damage caused by a space object. Bin Cheng has defined a space object as a man-made object that is launched or intended to be launched into outer space. This definition, as implicitly understood by states in the negotiations leading to the adoption of the Liability Convention, has three implications. First, the definition of a space object includes the launch vehicle as well as components of the launcher that never enter into outer space. Secondly, the definition of a space object was implicitly understood to mean an object having material and physical properties, meaning that objects without such properties, such as electromagnetic waves, are excluded. The significance of this is that liability is engaged for damage caused by a falling first-stage component of a rocket, but is not engaged in the case of service interrupted by a satellite-based global navigation system, such as the Global Positioning System, GPS, or Galileo. With the growing importance of space-based, Earth-oriented activities, this implicit understanding has come under challenge. Thirdly, damage caused by objects naturally formed in outer space would not fall under the Liability Convention. This means that the Liability Convention arguably does not cover damage caused by natural objects returned to the Earth by sample return missions. An interesting question that arises is the damage that could potentially be caused by space debris. Space debris refers to all non-functional man-made objects in Earth orbit or re-entering into the Earth's atmosphere, including all fragments and elements of such objects. While there is some agreement that space debris should be treated as component parts of a space object, there is continuing debate as to whether space debris falls within the definition of space object at all. The 2007 Space Debris Mitigation Guidelines, which were adopted by the United Nations Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space, does not define the term space debris. The Liability Convention defines damage as the loss of life, personal injury or other impairment of health, or loss of or damage to property. Indirect damage, such as loss of revenue, was not specifically included in the wording of the Convention. 
although there is no restriction on claims for both material and immaterial damage. Reparation for damage must restore the entity on whose behalf the claim is presented to the condition which would have existed had the damage not occurred. This is in conformity with the standard definition of reparation in international law. Moreover, the Liability Convention specifies that reparation must be prompt, full and equitable. A direct causal link is required to establish proof that the damage was caused by a space object. Where damage does not occur immediately or locally, the damage must in any case be the result of an initial damage caused by the space object itself. Where the causal nexus is interrupted or where damage was unforeseeable or too remote, it may be difficult to sustain a claim for reparation. A claim for compensation triggers the implementation of international responsibility and liability in international space law. At international law, the claim must be presented through diplomatic channels, not later than one year following the date in which the damage in question was sustained, when the responsible state was identified or when the claimant state could reasonably be expected to have learned of the facts through the exercise of due diligence. If the injured party is an international organisation, the claim for reparation must be made by one of its member states, which must also be a party to the liability convention. The Liability Convention does not condition a claim on the prior exhaustion of local remedies. Indeed, the victim-oriented approach that the Convention takes results in various ways in which a claim could be made. If the injured party's state of nationality does not make any claim for reparation, then the state on whose territory the damage took place may do so. If neither of these states present a claim, then the state on whose territory the injured party has permanent residence is entitled to do so. This framework shields injured parties against the perils of the classic regime of diplomatic protection, where the state of nationality has sole discretion to decide whether or not to present a claim. The Liability Convention retains the principle electa una via non dato recursus ad alterum. This prohibits a state from having recourse to the provisions of the Liability Convention if it already had recourse to other channels of reparation. This includes the pursuance of a claim under domestic law. Now, what is unclear, however, is whether the state regains the right to pursue reparation under the Liability Convention had it first chosen to do so under a domestic procedure which subsequently failed. Moreover, if a state pursues a claim under an, another international treaty, it also loses the right to present the same claim under the Liability Convention. This approach dovetails with the international general principle at law prohibiting double reparation. What is unclear is whether a state would have a right to simultaneously pursue claims under various international treaties, with a first award bringing other simultaneous claims to an end. Where multiple actors are responsible for damage caused, all those states are jointly and severally responsible. The injured party may bring an action against one, or some, or all of these states in order to obtain full reparation. If the launching state is an international organisation, the member states of that organisation that are also parties to the Liability Convention are jointly and severally responsible, together with the organisation. However, the claim must first be made to the international organisation and can only be presented to member states where the organisation has failed to pay the compensation agreed or determined within six months. The responsibility of member states, therefore, appears to be subsidiary to that of the organisations rather than joint. The launching state that has compensated damage sought has the right to present a claim against the other participants of the launch. 
In practice, these states conclude agreements that apportion the financial obligations in cases where they're jointly and severally responsible. Where damage is sustained by a third party due to the collision of two space objects, compensation is apportioned between the launching states of those space objects according to the extent to which they were at fault. Where such apportionment is impossible to determine, the launching states are to bear the obligation of reparation equally. Where disputes arise in uh, relation to reparation, the Liability Convention provides for a specific system of dispute settlement. Where diplomatic negotiations fail to bring about a resolution after a year, either party may request the creation of a claims commission. This claims commission is to be composed of three members, one chosen by each of the parties and the third, who is to be the chair, chosen by the parties jointly. If there is no agreement on the chair within four months, either party may request the Secretary-General of the United Nations to appoint one. If either of the parties does not make its appointment within the stipulated period, then the chair shall, at the request of the other party, constitute a single-member commission. The commission is to decide upon the merits of the claim for reparation and to determine the amount compensable, if any, by majority vote. The decision of the commission is to be rendered within a year and to be made public. It should be noted, however, the decision of the Claims Commission is binding on the parties only if the parties have so agreed in advance. Otherwise, the decision is considered recommendatory, to which the parties are to consider in good faith. Space activities are inherently hazardous. The history of spaceflight has been marked by disasters, both major and minor. The tragedies of the Space Shuttle Challenger and Columbia in 1986 and 2003, respectively, the loss of the Long March rocket in 1995, and the disintegration of Spaceship Two VSS Enterprise in 2014 come to mind. However, questions of reparation and damage in almost all these incidents have been dealt with under national law, since these incidents did not have an international dimension. Only one major disaster has led to the public invocation of the Liability Convention, the Cosmos 954 incident. In 1978, the nuclear-powered Soviet satellite Cosmos 954 re-entered the Earth's atmosphere. It eventually crashed in Canada, scattering radioactive debris over its northwest territory. In that case, Canada presented a claim for reparation to the former Soviet Union. The claim was based on the Liability Convention, but also relied on the general international law of responsibility for internationally wrongful acts. It should be noted that the case was amicably settled and that the Protocol on Settlement of Canada's claim, which was concluded on the 2nd of April 1981, neither specified the legal basis for the compensation that the former Soviet Union agreed to pay to Canada, nor expressly referred to the Liability Convention. In conclusion, we have considered the unique regime of international responsibility for activities in outer space, as well as a specific framework for the implementation of responsibility in the case of damage. We have considered the obligation on states to authorize and continuously supervise space activities carried on by their nationals, and the methods by which responsibility is implemented in the case of private entities, international organizations, and cooperation between more than one actor. We have also considered the framework by which international liability for damage caused is implemented. The practicalities of space activities have led to the prearranged distribution of risks among launching states, domestic legislation providing for licensing, information sharing, and compulsory third-party liability insurance. More recent state practice has shown a growing trend for legislation relating to the transfer of ownership of in-orbit space objects and provision for reparation in case of environmental damage. 
Like much of the activity that it seeks to regulate, the international law relating to responsibility for space activities is not only distinctive, but expansive and flexible. This should stand it in good stead, as new technologies and transactions relating to space-based assets become our everyday reality. Thank you.